Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is the 2nd of April, 2018, and this is episode episode 231. Episode. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. <laughs> Scott Magnus. <laughs> On today's show, we will bask in the warm glow of the return of Orioles baseball. And we're also going to make up some ridiculous unwritten rules here at Bird's Eye View. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a gin and tonic uh, to soak up the misery and woe, which has been the Oreo season thus far. A gin and tonic. Do tell. Uh, More detail, sir. Hendrick's gin, uh, tonic water, uh, lime, not a cucumber. Was feeling a little citrusy tonight as opposed to cucumbery. There's a difference, folks. I'll accept it. I am drinking a uh, cornucopia. Of offerings from the Heavy Seas Brewing Company. Leftover beer in your fridge. Gotcha. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Started off with a gold ale. Okay. It's been a while since I had one. Yep. Big favorite. Uh, But later on the show, I will get, of course, to the Loose Cannon, which is... You didn't bring over the Mars, Han? I did not. I actually sent the Imperial Stout, which I'm sure is fantastic, but I'm not man enough for it, uh, with my uh, younger nephew because I just couldn't have it in the house. All right, well... Good for you. If you want to know what we're drinking on a weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. You can find me at MEGN8606. And I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go ahead and uh, get some bandages and uh, tie ourselves up in the medical wing. What, tie us up? Tie ourselves up? Yeah, exactly. Have a look at Tourniquet. I didn't think it was that kind of show. That's the Red Room of Pain. Or is it the Orange Room of Pain? Not in the orange room of pain. It's not okay to giggle. <laughs> you know, sometimes I realize there are children that listen to this podcast. I know. Why? And I'm sorry out there. So let's talk about Zach Burton and the misery and woe, which is he. Um, look, he, he came out on opening day, mm-hmm. uh, was walking gingerly. Sure. Um, walking but, I mean, as would a redhead. Everyone on the beat is basically saying he's ahead of schedule. He's going to get back. You know, I still think, you know, that first week of June is a possibility. Yeah. I, I think the Orioles are going to rush him out there as quick as possible so they can potentially use him as trade bait. Well, yeah, perhaps. What I will say is that there's certainly no rush from what we're seeing on the field right now. We got plenty of Rule 5 pitchers to throw out there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Mark Trumbo, still alive. Still alive. Uh, it sounds like he's doing perfectly fine. So it sounds like he'll come right back after the 10 days. Uh, this just seems like it's going through the motions at this point. What's the move? Um, well, I would assume Pedro Alvarez. I would assume Pedro Alvarez, too. Um, Danny Valencia, I think, can get out of his deal, but Pedro Alvarez can't. Does that sound anywhere near right? No. So Because both, they both have major league deals now. Oh. So we've already wasted the money for both of them. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be one of those two guys. And I would think that Valencia, being a right-handed guy, may have uh, a little bit more danger involved, but uh, I just dislike pedro alvarez more as a baseball player i would say that um not to make a big deal out of a minor league move but i think michael Bourne spells somewhat of an end to the pedro alvarez experiment sure okay. he was the uh, he was the hold off until they could get their hands on right. michael Bourne. uh gabriel Inoa also still hanging out there on the dl other than that the orioles are wait pretty- did i say michael Bourne? i mean michael saunders yeah you yeah. said Michael Bourne, and I just went right yeah. with it. But Michael Saunders is what I meant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, is still hanging out there. But otherwise, the Orioles pretty healthy. Well, pretty healthy. Was that circa like 2017 or 2016 Orioles? Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. With that, why don't we... Uh, we're not going to we... talk about Gabrielle Nawa. No. No? We're not. No interest? No. no. Not even okay. a little bit. Okay. Why don't we see what's going on this week in Birdland in 280 characters or fewer this week? On the Twitters. Uh, so you, you brought it up, and I I mean, this is okay, I guess. Eh? Eh, I guess. This is a tweet from Bob Nightingale. It tweets, at B. Nightingale. The Orioles signed Michael Saunders to a minor league contract after he was released this spring by the hashtag Royals. Scotty, thoughts? You care? Um, decent depth signing. I still think it comes back down to what happened to Joey Rickard. <laughs> He is now even deeper. Even deeper. Even deeper in the depth chart. No, I mean, I think it's, if our minor league move, I have no issues with this whatsoever. Nice little uh, depth addition. Just curious to see when he comes up. If it he is, does. It is insurance. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's not the insurance we think it is. Okay. 
This is insurance in case Colby Rasmus becomes bored with baseball again. Or he cuts his hair. <laughs> or gives himself a bath. Or anything like that. Speaking of 40-man casualties, Rockabaco tweets as following at Mass and Rock. Hashtag Orioles have traded right-hand pitcher Stefan Crichton to the Arizona Dynamics for a player to be named later or cash considerations. We had the Chad Bradford trade all over again. It's our favorite player. Yes. Uh, well, you have some roster manipulation from Rockabaco. But you know what, Scotty? Mm-hmm. I have some roster manipulations. From Rock Kabaka. So is this more roster news? Yes. This okay. is actually a trio okay. of, uh, it's a triplet of Kabako quotes here. Okay. Um, Rock a trois, as it were. <laughs> I was not going there. There are children present, Scott. Gotcha. Rock uh, is tying this up into a, into a bow. That was the medical way. <laughs> Rock Kabako writes about uh, the, the acquisition here. Duquette, colon. Uh, I'm going to go with Isla? Isla? Y-S-L-A. Yeah. How would you pronounce that? Meh. Who cares? <laughs> anyway, he's a hard-throwing left-handed pitcher that sure he had is. good reports on from the 2017 Eastern League. Hashtag Orioles. Oh, but wait. More Rock, who tweets, more Duquette. He has good pitches, which can play well in the major leagues with more consistency. But wait. More Rock and more Duquette. We hope he can put it together this season to help the 2018 club. Meh. Meh. It's a it's a it's a nothing burger, but the thing is is that they they had some 40-man roster uh casualties and this is what they're doing about it. It was a trade uh with the Dodgers, I believe. Uh, there has been nobody for our has been nobody. I think one was 23 and hadn't pitched above double A. This guy's 25 and has had a cup of coffee in triple A. Meh. These are orc soldiers. Yeah. Left-handed uh double A, you know, be afraid, Donnie Hart. Be afraid. All right. Next, we have a tweet. I love this, Scott. And frankly, this is awesome. And anybody who doubts it can come fight me. All right. I not, disagree. Not really. Oh, awesome. Let's talk about this. This is a tweet from Ricky Arnold at Astro underscore Ricky. Simply AJ10. We could see that one from up here. Hashtag opening day. It is a picture from the International Space Station of an astronaut wearing O's gear. Right. This is the second astronaut sure. to tweet from the International Space Station right. in his O's gear. Yeah. What is not cool about that? He's lying. This is obviously fake news. There's no way he could have been able to see that. I was able to see the ball. Unless this guy has, like, supervision, it's impossible that he saw this ball from all the way up there. I'm greatly disappointed, and this is why Donald Trump needs to really form his uh, you know, own space organization as opposed to uh, employing Orioles fans up at the International Space Station. All right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yes. All right. I finally want a conversation. Uh, from the good things happening to good people department, uh, there was some big news that I'm sort of super excited about. Uh, this came from Jeff Long at Jeff Long BP, although that's going to have to change now. I've accepted a consulting role with a major league team that I'll la- that'll last through the entire 2018 season, potentially beyond. I'm really very excited about the top opportunity, but sad not to be writing at BP anymore. Jeff is a great guy. Uh, great guy. Great guy. Um, personal friend of the show. Uh, best of luck to Jeff Long. Did some great work in the past year with pitch tunneling. Very excited to see what he does with... Uh, the mystery team with the mystery team that uh, cannot be spoken to the public. Um, but I'll be very interested to see how well he does. Um, shockingly, not the Baltimore Orioles. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> moving on uh, to the next tweet. You want to take this next one? Absolutely. Is anybody besides the Orioles, of course, having a worse start to the season than the New York Yankees? This, this is a tweet from the New York Yankees who tweet at Yankees. Today's game has been postponed due to weather. Further details to come. This, of course, refers to the blanket of snow that covered the the Yankee Stadium. But if you look beyond that, they literally, with the exception of of Judge, do not have an outfielder on the 40-man roster. They have had injuries as such that they've had to bring up a third baseman to play the outfield so that they can man a major league team. I think they've had to have Aaron Judge go out to center field for at least one game, which is mind-boggling is the best way to put it. They'll still beat the crap out of us. Oh, of course. We play them, There's no question still. about it. They'll destroy us. Um, you know, Mike Petrullio is living the life that we all want to live. Isn't he always? He, he is. And uh, if you want to know what Mike is talking about, you can follow him at Mike underscore Petrullio. But he tweets as follows today. It appears I entirely missed someone being mad about a bunt yesterday. And uh, I'm pretty okay with that. 
that sounds pretty much perfect. Um, and we'll get to that later on the show in terms of um, bunting and unwritten rules of baseball. But we have to make some drastic overreactions to a three-game series at home against um, the Minnesota Twins. And who better to have overreactions than um, Derek Honor from Utah Street Report. So let's go ahead and pull him in and let him be an overreactive individual. There's no one I would rather overreact with than Derek Arnold. It's all about overreaction. And who best to help us overreact than the man himself? We are, of course, referring to Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. If you are not reading Derek's work, shame on you. Stop the podcast, go to your interwebs, find his work on Utah Street Report, and then come back to us. Because people are always shutting down streaming media and going and reading blog articles now, right? Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Derek, as you will know, occasionally will emote, occasionally will react, and we brought him here to do just that for what we had from the opening series against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Derek Arnold, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Pleasure to be back on the show. The uh, The last time I was on, I was actually in SD Studios, um, so I feel a little lonelier this time, but I'm still honored that you wanted to reach out using this old medium of the telephone. <laughs> Well, what what can we say? Uh, you're you're welcome anytime. You know the mics don't even have to be on. Before we get any further, we have to take care of some important stuff. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? What's your drink of the week? My drink of the week that I am actually digging out of the kegerator as we speak is a Stone Exalted IPA. That's a good one because good one. yeah, and I am not quite exalted by what I saw from the Orioles. Um, over the last two games, but I'll just pretend I'm drinking this one Friday. <laughs> That'll work. All right. So yeah. we had uh, we had a win on on uh, Thursday. We had uh, some losses on Saturday and Sunday. But uh, let let me ask you this. Let's let's kind of break it down bit by bit by bit. Let's start with just the pitching. All right. Tell me what did you see from Dylan Bundy on Thursday? So. You guys watched. Bundy was everything that we had pretty much expected him to be last year um, before he started to wear down a bit at the end of the season. But he seemed to have all of his pitches working. Um, he was working in that slider, getting a lot of swings and misses. I think Steve Muskie said it was like 12 of 24 swings and misses on the slider. And so Dylan Bundy was, as we like to say, dealing. It was interesting going into that game because Dylan Bundy was talking about the aspect of going more towards curveball, but he certainly kind of fell back on the habit of relying on that slider. But the one thing, as you point out with the slider, I think the slider was the story of the game. That vertical movement that he was getting with his slider, again, getting that whiff percentage up was pretty impressive. Um, I mean, if that's what we're going to see from Dylan Bundy moving forward in terms of slider effectiveness, I mean, the sky's the limit for Dylan Bundy in reality. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you saw from Dylan Bunny that concerned you at all from opening day? Um, it's funny that you mentioned the curveball. I think I saw that he only threw seven or eight. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. But in my mind, that's it might not be his best pitch. Um, people who are smarter than me about MLB pitching have told me that it's not. But that's the that's the pitch that I enjoy most watching Dylan Bundy throw. I feel like it just it gets so many knee buckles. It's just a really fun pitch to watch as a spectator. And that he didn't throw it more, um, I don't think we've heard him say that there was any reason for that. Um, but to answer your question, I'm not concerned about anything. i just like to see some more curveballs for my own um, personal uh, reasons. So I'm looking for. we're hearing that Derek Arnold likes to see knees buckle, basically. I'm a big fan of the... Uh, 12 to 6, sir. Yes. So do you think that's what we're just going to see from Bundy this season? Or, uh, you know, uh, do, do you think much like maybe the rest of the pitching staff, it might be uh, might be rocky? 
I'm going to look on the sunny side of life and say that that Dylan Bundy is the Dylan Bundy that we can expect going forward. Okay. Well, obviously, the other not-so-sunny aspect was uh, Andrew Kashner and Kevin Gossman's performances on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Andrew Kashner came out, really didn't throw too many ground balls, um, but really the one large looming concern coming out of Kashner and Gossman's game really was the amount of home runs that each pitcher gave up. Um, specifically Kashner. I mean, I think we all knew that the home run reduction that we saw from Kashner last year was a abnormality. But do we think that Kashner is going to be more homer prone now being in the AL East as opposed to pick, pitching in Texas as he was last year? Well, obviously we knew that he would be, but it's always very jarring when the uh, things regress to the mean so violently and quickly as they did for Andrew Kastner on uh, on Saturday night. He was up in the zone a little bit, and the Twins weren't missing, and the ball was doing what it seems to do um, at Oriole Park as he um, quickly came to learn. And I was imagining Alex Cobb. Um, I don't. I know he was in Baltimore for Thursday. He was probably gone by the weekend. But I was just imagine imagining him watching and saying, "I've made a huge mistake." That's. I mean. I think if you look at it, you know, the Twins really did take advantage of him kind of elevating that ball in the fa- in the strike zone. And the scouting report was there, and they basically just sat on it all all game. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see if he's able to adjust to that or if the scouting report will remain like that. Um, but certainly, Cashner is going to have to get back into basically putting the ball down lower, especially if he's going to try to get ground balls. Gosman, though, was a whole different story. I mean, he didn't seem to have any command of any of his pitches, really. Um, and the velocity reduction, of course, was a big story during the game, um, with the velocity normally being right around you know, 92 to 93, where typically Gossman's closer to 95 to 96 for the fastball. Um, any thoughts about that, um, or do you think it was kind of a blip on the radar? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a, a huge concern. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, as anyone who follows me on Twitter saw on Sunday, I was not uh, watching the game. I was fishing. And that proved to be a very good choice um, as far as ways to spend my Sunday. Well done. Very quickly. Thanks to Kevin Gossman and his middle, middle 92 mile an hour fastballs. Um, it's, in my mind, very concerning. Uh, that's the sort of thing that um, we saw from Chris Tillman a couple of years ago. His velocity was way down. Um, never really thought you would see that kind of thing from Kevin Gossman, especially this early in his career uh, he's not working on any any new cutters or anything that i know of that would have been known to cause velocity to drop in other pitchers in the past um it's going to be very uh interesting to watch going forward and i'm sure all all eyes of O's fans will be focused on the uh the radar gun the next time the guy formerly known as gas man takes the mound to see if he can get that gas back Yeah, I mean, Kevin Gossman came out and basically made some, I I wouldn't say excuses, but said, you know, um, you know, the time between starts may have had a little bit of a role, but he really just came back and just said, I just didn't have my stuff this today. I mean, the other question I raised was, you know, we heard the entire spring training that Gossman was tinkering with his fastball and kind of going to a sinker approach. And when, when Gossman has thrown a sinker before, it has seen a few miles per hour decrease compared to his four seam fastball. Do you think that maybe Kevin got a little bit too much in his head and uh, maybe started dabbling a little bit and uh, got into trouble in that regard in terms of going more with the with the uh, the sinker as opposed to the the four seam fastball? Yeah, I mean, if that's accurate, obviously um, he needs to live down in the zone a lot more than he was able to on Sunday. Um, whatever it was he was throwing was again elevated and in the middle of the zone and. It looked like, um, like you mentioned, his secondary pitches weren't there to keep the uh, Twins hitters honest, and they were just sitting on that fastball, as we've sort of seen guys do when Gossman's struggled in the past. And I think um, the other thing those fans are thinking about right now is, is this first half Kev- Kevin Gossman once again? For the last two seasons now, he's been a completely different pitcher before and after the All-Star break. And we know that with as much as this rotation and this team is um, counting on him, that he cannot 
take three months to figure things out again. Well, we know and, we know Abaldo Jimenez doesn't start strong during the season. Oh, wait, we're talking about Kevin Gossman here, not Abaldo Jimenez. So, <laughs> Derek, yeah. let me ask the darker question. Um, at what point do we need to worry about Kevin Gosman being the second coming of Ben McDonald? Hey, I love Ben <laughs> McDonald. Do not be dissing on Ben McDonald. And, and what I mean by that is a guy who had every right to be a dominant pitcher in the in the major leagues, who was heralded from the moment he arrived, and just turned out to be meh. So this is the curse of LSU, is what you're telling me? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Big Ben was sort of a injury case that um, kind of derailed him for the most part. It, uh, and Gossman, knock on wood, has been pretty healthy. And so the excuses, um, they're not really there. And it, it's funny. I remember two years ago, we did the same thing. And you guys asked me, is this the year Kevin Gossman breaks out? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and you said, why? And I said, because he has to. <laughs> and here we are two years later, and I, you know, I have the exact same answer. Um, there's no good reason for to think that he'll be better than he has been. But at the same time, when you look at his stuff, there's no good reason for him to be as bad as he's been. And so that's sort of what we're dealing with and what we've always dealt with as Orioles fans with pretty much everyone not named Mike Messina. Well, if it's any consolation, until Alex Cobb comes up, what we've just described is the good part of the rotation. Um, and as you know, <laughs> the, the Orioles are throwing uh, Chris Tillman out, uh, uh, you know, as cannon fodder for the Houston Astros uh, home opener as they celebrate their world championship. And then we'll follow up with Mike Wright. Mike Wright Jr.? Excuse me. A new, new pitcher, so, Mike Wright Jr. I, I saw that. It's, my, it's right against Verlander. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, whose who's will are we trying to break here? Is it Mike Wright's? Is it Baltimore Orioles fans? Oh, it's definitely because us. Wouldn't it's that, definitely <laughs> us. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be sort of regular rest for Dylan Bundy and a perfect reason to not run Mike Wright out there until we need to? But we're all just feeling so good after um, getting dominated by the Twins for two games. And like you said, um, cannon fodder Chris Tillman going out there and doing what he's doing right now that exactly what the doctor ordered for us is a Mike Wright versus Justin Verlander start. Well, I mean, obviously we've got to talk about Dylan Bundy on innings limit. Oh wait, again, that was last year on oh, my bad. Uh, I mean, it is frustrating. I mean, maybe the Orioles are just like, you know what? Let's just try to win one game and maybe pitching Bundy versus Keuchel offers them better odds than Bundy versus Verlander. I mean, it's not like the Orioles have ever beaten Verlander in a pivotal game ever in their history. Never. Never. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, starting rotation, really, really good is what I'm hearing from you. Um, that's, I mean, that, that's the bottom line. Right. Just right. So it's, it. it's 2017 very, very all over again, basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, the the uh, relievers, and we've seen a lot of them at this point. Um, you know, Brad Brock was the story from opening day, but uh, I, I'm almost not as worried about that. I, Brad Brock's going to be a good reliever. Whether or not he should be called upon in the ninth inning is a whole different question. But he's fine. Uh, my real question is, is the, is the roster inflexibility in the bullpen going to be a problem? And what I mean by that is the only optionable arms really at this point, I think, is uh, it comes down to Blyer and, uh, you know, maybe Britain. I mean, those may be the only guys that you can send down at this point. Uh, do you think that'll come back to bite the Orioles and or uh, will that necessitate uh, Buck Showalter having to part from any of his Rule 5 guys? Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to watch as the Orioles are in a situation where they sort of have to operate more like a typical major league team um, as opposed to one that just uses their uh, their AAA team as an extension of their MLB team because they have so many of those pieces you talked about. Um, I think they're counting on the starting pitching being better. Uh, and as we just went over, that's, you know, don't need to worry about that at all. So they shouldn't have to call on these guys to make spot starts and they shouldn't have to go into the bullpen in the third inning, um, two of every five days. And as long as that's not the case, they should be okay. Um, but if 
the starting pitching starts to do what we all sort of fear in the back of our minds it might do, um, that could very quickly become a problem. All right, Derek, you're bumming me out, so I'm going to leave the pitching area. And I, I want to go to some happier questions. Yeah, l- let me let me go to something a little more happy. Let's talk about the Orioles' offense this offense, uh, early right? part yeah. in the uh, in the season. Somewhere, somewhere safe. Um, so uh, let's. Okay, I know I do have a positive note. I do have a positive note. I dug deep, but here's the thing: uh, the only somewhat productive player so far this season appears to be Manny Machado. Right? I mean, he's he's having a good start. He's gotten hits. He's gotten walks. He hasn't looked lost at the plate. Yeah, that'd be great in 2019. This is a good thing for Manny Machado, right? Right, Right. and Caleb Joseph. Uh, Like, really, the two guys that we were counting on, Manny and Caleb, are shouldering the load. Absolutely. Just the way we thought it was going to work out. Right. Derek, what's wrong with the offense? Oh, man. (laughs) It's sort of the, um, the overarching theme of the first series. Everyone, of course, says, you know, don't put too much in one baseball series, even though it was the first series. So it's all we had to look at. The other thing, um, the problems that plague the team in that first series seem so distressingly familiar to fans of this team, where we already talked about one, but the one that we're talking about now is everyone seems to slump at the same time. And they talk about hitting being contagious. And as we've seen with the Orioles, whether 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, or now 18, it, it seems that slumps are contagious. And, you know, you talked about Manny getting walks, and that's great. Um, but I think one of the things that might make him a little bit less patient uh, very quickly is if the guys behind him, once he's standing on first base, continue to do nothing. Um, that'll make him press, uh, as we see everyone sort of starts to press and it's just a big boulder rolling down the hill of uh, no offense. And if this team doesn't hit, they're in a world of hurt. Yeah. I mean, that kind of has come back to, you know, we've seen this before and we really just saw it last season in September where pitching was horrible, hitting was horrible. And when you have both horrible, you pretty much win no games. And certainly it's something that, you know, you look at this one series and you say, well, they just lost, you know, the series, you know, they won one, they lost two. It's not that big of a deal. But, you know, that microcosm of looking at how well they did and nearly being no hit on Saturday night, and you think to yourself, uh-oh, if they don't get it turned around quickly in terms of at least hitting or putting balls in play, um, this is not going to work out. It's not so much the issue about runs. It's more about the aspect of putting balls in play and getting hits. I mean, even during opening day, the Orioles had 13 strikeouts, and I realize it was in an extra innings game. But it's that aspect of fans are looking at it and saying, I, I don't like the approach and I don't like the strikeouts. And, you know, there's going to be this boom and bust. And when it's bust, I'm going to be like Derek Arnold mm-hmm. and I'm going to go out fishing as opposed to sitting down and watching an Orioles game on Sunday. Yeah. And that's sort of, again, what we've uh, come to know and love, I guess you would say, about this team. Um we know that they will bash their way to some wins, but when they're not doing that and the pitching is going bad, like you said, we'll see what we saw in September. And when you look at the schedule in April, uh, the schedule makers did the Orioles no favors. Yeah. And if they, can't, if they can't put up five, six, seven runs at least half the time, um, they might find themselves almost out of this thing by May 1st. Right. Well, I mean, Derek, you know that I am really into the statistical analysis of everything. And I think I have figured out the root cause of all um, the Orioles' misery offensively. And I've learned this from the 23-year-old girl that was sitting behind me at opening day um, that was quite inebriated. (laughs) And obviously, the entire issue for why the Orioles' offense is failing right now is due to Chris Davis. And Chris Davis, being the leadoff hitter, um, has obviously catapulted uh, the Orioles offense into the sea of misery and woe. Um, so Derek, let me ask you, how much do you care where Chris Davis hits and um, bats in this lineup? Um, and how significant do you really think it actually is? I really don't care. Um, people, once again, who are smarter than me, um, say there's no reason not to do it. So I'm fine giving it not just the first couple of series. Let's give it a month and see what happens. Um, 
what what's more distressing to me about Chris Davis right now is that while he's he's not striking out, I think he's only struck out twice um, unless he struck out um, again tonight since I've been here talking to you guys. Um, he's making contact with the ball and it's not really going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. we're not getting that uh, contact to damage ratio, as Buck likes to call it. For years, um, when the big fella's been up, you know, you'll be sitting there watching and you'll say, just just hit the ball fair, man. And something good's probably going to happen. And then he'll strike out and then you're disappointed. But when he does hit it, usually something good happens. But he's had some some numbers, some dribblers, some pop-ups. He's really not getting that uh, exit velocity, to use a term that's in vogue, um, that you've come to expect from Chris Davis. So that's what worries me about him right now. Is there anything else about the the offense that you think is noteworthy, or, or do you think that we need to be as silent as they are at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's no point in complaining too much. I do think that They'll start hitting. I'm just not sure that it's going to be against Justin Verlander or Dallas Keuchel. Um, so things could get pretty bad, and Birdland will be grumbling. Uh, but I think the offense will turn it around, and it'll be sooner rather than later. Um, but the question is, will four, five, six runs be enough um, if Kevin Gossman and Andrew Kastner are pitching like they did the first time through the rotation? Sure. Let me ask you about some defensive items. Um, uh, super listener uh, for the Bird's Eye View podcast, Lila Shapiro-Seer, uh, sent us a message and asked us about... Lila. Yeah, right? Lila. The best. Um, asked us about specifically Cisco's defense, and I have not been watching like a hawk. Like you, I might not have been fishing, but I was entertaining guests on Sunday, and so I wasn't watching super closely. Cisco's defense is something I really want to pay attention to this year because, you know, you hear a lot of, oh, he's not really going to stick defensively catcher. Do you have any thoughts one way or the other about Cisco's defense and whether or not it'll be good enough at the major league level? I was actually afraid um, last week um, during the last spring training game that was broadcast. I thought Chan Cisco had maybe played himself off the team. Um, he had a throw to third that he threw in the left field and a runner scored. He had a runner picked off a of first that should have been dead to rights and he misplayed the, um, the rundown and the runner was safe. And I said, well, I think uh, old Chance just earned himself a ticket to Norfolk. And I was pleasantly surprised um, that Buck and the coaches had seen enough um, from him defensively over the past month that that wasn't enough uh, to do that. I think I saw somewhere where his – he only had maybe one chance to throw out a runner last year, and his pop time was the slowest of any catcher in MLB for that one time. So let's go small sample size. Hopefully he's fixed that. Um, I'm sort of like you. I'm interested to watch and see if it's uh, – a deal breaker. I really hope it's not. Um, Scott, what did you see on Sunday? Was he uh, bad? I mean, Anything to worry about there? I mean, it was, I would say Weeders-esque is the best way to describe it. So I wouldn't say it was terrible, but it was probably below average. But it wasn't something that you'd look at and say, uh, we shouldn't have him come back and, and catch another game. I mean, he, he had a few drop balls. I didn't think his pop-up time was that bad. Um, he had okay pitch framing. I just think that in general, people were looking for an excuse of why Kevin Gossman was throwing so poorly. And right. I think they were looking to basically say, well, maybe it's Cisco that's doing it, similar to how we used to blame Weeders. So I'm willing to give it some more more shots. I'm really not willing to go and blame Cisco for anything going on. I, I just think that um, we oftentimes like to look for the simplest reason why things are going bad. And I don't think Cisco is the reason things are going bad right now, unless you're bunting. I mean, then things are going bad. So. Oh, yeah, then you're breaking all the unwritten rules that we just made up. We will get to that it later in on the show, yes. All right, let me <laughs> let me ask you about this defensively. Do we have to change our expectations for what we see defensively at third base and shortstop? Uh, let's start at third base. Yeah, so my feeling on the whole Manny the Short thing um, originally was it'll be fun. Um I don't think it's the best thing for the team, but 
it'll be fun watching Manny um, ranges in the hole and makes some throws from there and have more balls hit to him as Masson beat down our throats in every spring training broadcast of why this is the right move to move Manny to short. And then um, a couple games of Tim Beckham at third base has happened, and I'm <laughs> I'm quickly having a knee-jerk reaction the other way. Um, he's cost the team a few outs that you you just know Manny would make these plays. And so um, it's been a little distressing uh, to see balls get hit to third and short hop and bounce off someone's glove. Or um, earlier tonight in Houston, he had a play where Manny would have definitely just stepped on third base and gunned across the diamond for a double play. And Beckham sort of hesitated through the second. And so instead of being out of the inning, it was first and third with two outs. And I, I just don't know how much um, that kind of thing can go on before someone really sits down with Manny and ha- has a heart to heart about what you're doing might not be the best thing for the team. Um, I really don't know. I'd, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for those conversations about moving to the shortstop um, that happened between Manny and Buck and probably Brady Anderson and whoever else uh, over the winter. Yeah, I, I think with Beckham, we're watching a talented defender learning to play a new position on the fly at the major league level, right? And the play that you described in Houston is a perfect example of reaction time. He had to make a decision and he froze and he got an out, but he didn't get two, which is what we're accustomed to. My right. rope. Um, Go I, ahead. I don't want to um, interrupt you, but I will. <laughs> we're doing the same thing with Manny um, during the game on Sunday. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but. I know this secondhand. Um, my father was telling me that Jim Palmer said the same thing about Manny. Well, he made that mistake because he's learning to play shortstop at this level. And so now we have a left side of the infield where both guys are learning at the same time. And I'm just, I'm not sure that's the best situation for a team that's in win now mode. I, I, here's my opinion on Manny Machado, and you can tell me what you think. I think Manny Machado is. No, you're wrong, Jake. <laughs> Thank you. That's what, this is what we pay you for. Uh, I think Manny Machado is going from being an all-world third baseman to just a very good shortstop, right? And we're going to watch Manny Machado play a very good shortstop, which will be not only a drop-off in what we see from our third baseman, but it will be a drop-off from what we see in Manny Machado. Sure. And we just have to kind of readjust our expectation and say, you know what, Manny Machado is going to make most of the plays, he's going to dazzle us a lot, but he's not going to be the guy that we knew at third base who makes the plays that we didn't even think were humanly possible, mm-hmm. and he makes every single play that ought to be. All right. So I, I know both of you guys are getting older in your age at this point because the years have kind of come up. But uh, do you remember when Manny Machado came up and to the majors and played third base in 2012? He wasn't that good. Like, he was okay. But he wasn't that good. I think we all think back to that September game against the Rays with the spin around move and getting him. But in in general, Manny wasn't great when he first came up into the majors to play third base. I mean, these are two players that are getting a custom position. Manny hasn't had that spectacular highlight play. But again, we're only four games in, boys. Like, it's not that big of a deal. We know the range is there. We know it's going to be okay. And we're we're giving Tim Beckham crap for some of the plays that he's missed out on. But let's think about back to opening day. He made that great charge across the mound, throwing right across the diamond, and made a great bang-bang play. I mean, Beckham is going to be a serviceable, average to above average third baseman. He is not going to be a you know top percentile third baseman, but he's going to be a serviceable third baseman. If you look at where J.J. Hardy was at last year in Manny Machado at third base— I personally think that if you look at Manny Machado at shortstop and you look at Tim Beckham at third base, I think overall it's a defensive upgrade, all things considering. Yes, you had the consistency of J.J. Hardy last year, but you don't have the range like you're going to see with a multitude of games in this upcoming season. So are you saying that we shouldn't move Chris Davis to third base? What I'm saying is we should sign Mark Reynolds, and then we should put him at third base. Derek, I heard him talking smack about J.J. Hardy. I don't know about you. Listen, J.J. Hardy, um, we, he's out the pasture. He's done, okay? It's it's not going to happen, okay? That's what I heard. Um, when Lila listens and wonders if we answered her question, all she needs to know is <laughs> Scott was talking smack about J.J. Hardy. <laughs> all right. He's not even that good looking, folks, okay? Wow. 
Uh, hey, let's talk about defense. Craig Gentry showed why he was on the team on opening day with two amazing snags. Secret did weapon. He not? That's right. The uh, the secret weapon. Um, Buck knows, right? Craig Gentry. Uh, sure. Um, I know some people are a little upset that Austin Hayes didn't make the team. I'm fine with him um, playing every day in the minors as opposed to being platooned up here. Um, sort of the other half of that platoon, um, not real impressed with uh, Colby Rasmus's bat so far. Yeah. I'm hoping he's not ready to He'll be hoping he's not ready to check out on us again like he did on the Rays last year. He, he certainly looks like he's checked out of the play. We were actually commenting about this tonight watching him. And he certainly doesn't look like he's very uh, engaged is the best way to describe it. And, and maybe that's coming back to the whole aspect with the Michael Saunders signing today where they're just like, maybe the Orioles see the writing on the wall and they're like, let's go ahead and um, get some insurance up in here just in case uh, Coley Rasmus isn't going to work out uh, too far into the season. Um, but, but I guess we'll see. I mean, it, perhaps he's another Travis Snyder experiment gone wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> you had to bring up Munchbox. Um, let me ask you this. If if the Rasmus thing, Rasmus thing goes belly up quick, would you rather give Michael Saunders the chance or would you rather just call up Hayes and say, go play right field every night and see how that goes? You know, I, if I had a choice, I, I probably would give Hayes uh, a yeah. chance every single night just to see how well he does. Um, yeah, I think, we're, I think it, we're on the same page there. And it, it is a situation of I completely understand, just like you, Derek, where – he does not need to be up here. He needs to get the at-bats. And it also comes back down to, as much as we don't want to admit it, it's a business decision, too, where you don't want to bring him up. If you can delay his service time a little bit and get that extra year, it's well worth it. So, um, But you know what? Come mid-May, when um, you know he can come up, that's fine. But I still come back down to, you know, it's going to hit mid-May. Anthony Santander is going to be able to be optioned. Um, I think as soon as Santander gets optioned, Hayes is his replacement. And if Colby Rasmus isn't hitting, I think Michael Saunders is Colby Rasmus's replacement. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think both of those moves can be made in order to improve the Orioles if Colby Rasmus does not turn it around. Or, you know, like I said earlier in the show, if he doesn't get a bath, maybe the Orioles want to get him out of the clubhouse. <laughs> or maybe he'll start hitting um, like maybe. right now. And yeah. this will that's what I'll be moved. I mean, that's what we're hoping for, right? Like, absolutely. Along with everybody, along not, with everybody else, just remember how to hit, man, and I, then we can. N- not really. I don't stop. really like Colby Rasmus. We can stop. <laughs> we can stop giving your job to someone else. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some stuff that doesn't matter. Um, so it's bird's eye view right now. Yes. <laughs> Something I saw on the scoreboard that I found interesting: the mound visits remaining, the MVR right next to LOB on the scoreboard. Now, uh, do you think it's a big change for baseball? Do you think it's going to really matter, or do you think it's going to be a couple seasons that we won't remember what it was like before MVR? I think um, it'll probably be the latter. But right now, I'm going to be a very grumpy old man about it and just like why are you messing with this kind of thing? I think if um, if the commissioner really wants to get younger fans involved um, in the game, he needs to tear up the unwritten rule book. And I, I know you said you guys are going to talk about, talk about that later. And so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But how do you explain to your son, that man just threw at the other man's head because three months ago he bunted in the ninth inning when – they were shifted and you're not supposed to do that um, on a Thursday under the fourth moon and blah, blah, blah. Like that's the kind of thing that I would like to see go away and not the mound visits that really don't add anything. Um, I don't know, man. Right. I, well, I, I'll, I'll remind, I like, I'll remind you that next time we're playing the like Yankees or the Red Sox. And I'm, I'm never like, Oh man, this is too many mound visits. Girl. Well, the, yeah. And that's the thing. I, I think the real question is if you want to speed up the game, a, who are you doing it for? And are there enough casual fans that are not really that much into baseball that for whom a three-hour game versus a two-hour and 50-minute game is going to matter, right? Because I think it's important to ask ourselves, what what problem are we trying to solve with baseball? I'm sorry, what problem are we making up to try to solve with baseball that the mound visits solves? Um, and if it's the fact that the game is too long, how how many people does somewhat shorter games win over? And I, and I think that's the question that baseball needs to be asking itself. You know, I've, I've certainly phrased, phrased that in such a way that it makes it clear that I don't think there's a problem. But if they come up with the fact that the games are too long, find meaningful ways to shorten them 
and not, oh, let's limit the number of mound visits. I, I, Jake, I completely hear with you what you're saying, and I completely agree. I mean, there is no precedent of another similar professional league tinkering with the rules and effectively destroying their product on the field. Right. <laughs> Especially <laughs> now when baseball, I think, is is poised to take advantage of the fact that the NFL is driving itself into the ground. No, that's Fortnite that's taking advantage of it. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right, uh, so no bite on the mound visit remaining. That's fine. What about this also not, uh, nothing burger story of the extended netting? Um, I haven't been to a game down there yet. Um, my first season ticket game isn't until I think the 10th. I'm thinking I'm not going to care at all. Um, again, I can see where people would sort of get mad about it, um, but then we've all been at the games not necessarily sitting back there, but in the outfield or in the upper deck or whatever, and we'll see a ball go flying into the third row, and then all of a sudden there's paramedics rushing, and we sort of all get that pit in our stomachs. And I think never having to see that again, uh, just sort of remind yourself of that um, if you ever want to be really grumpy about, um, you know, this netting being in my face and wah, wah, wah. I, I, uh, I think I, with, I, do, I do think the Orioles missed a key um, opportunity here with the extended netting, where uh, in order to protect the children, they could have made it a two-way mirror so that when the Orioles are pitching, uh, you can't see onto the play of field in order to see who is pitching. Um, and then when the Orioles are batting, obviously it goes back and you can actually see onto the field. But but, the, but does it? Because apparently they can't hit either. That's so a good point. Maybe maybe everyone can just stare at themselves. There we go. Ryan Wagner can literally have a switch and just turn it on and off as he so chooses. For nine innings. Yes. All right. So we've wandered our way through things that don't matter and and uh, players that behave as if things don't matter. Uh, Derek, are things going to get better? Yes, man. I mean, they hope, better. Still springs, hope still springs like 75% eternal, right? Um, things will get better. Maybe not. Maybe not tonight, maybe not this week, but hopefully in within about two weeks, um, if this team could be floating around 500, I think we'll say, yeah, they're about what we thought they were going to be, and no one's expectations really need to change. Um, whether or not your expectations were wild car contention or 100, <laughs> 100 losses, like <clears throat> someone I'm talking to right now. Hey, hey, um, somebody doesn't look so crazy tonight, does he? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man, maybe you were right on. All right. Tell me something about Utah Street Report. So um, Utah Street Report, we just celebrated our fifth birthday. Wow. Hey, um, congrats. Yeah. yeah so and um, I have been pretty much fully converted to the uh, stat nerd side of things. So, Scott, you've won another convert. I, uh, Woo! I, bought, my, I bought my first baseball prospectus nice. annual this year. Ooh. Uh, good times. So I'm trying to... Um, infuse a little bit more nerd speak into our writing, but we also have um, plenty of writers who are just fans who aren't really, aren't really into that kind of thing. And we try to give everybody a voice. Um, so if you're just looking for um, some hours to kill at work, head on over to utahstreetreport.com. You can follow me at Utah ST report for much emoting and um, a little bit of analysis and some stupid gifts. Well, if I might say, I, I think your site uh, strikes a really good balance, and more importantly, I think that its tone is spot on. It's the type of deal where you can go for Orioles coverage that doesn't take itself too seriously without not having anything to back it up. Uh, it's, a, it's a great site, and again, anybody that's listening to this show should know about it, but Derek, you, do, you guys do a fantastic job over there. Thank you for all that you do, and uh, listeners, please... Make sure you rush over to Utah Street Report. Uh, Derek, if they're looking to find more of you, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, if you want to hear me uh, complain about things, you can follow me at Be More Bird's Nest. Uh, I wouldn't really recommend it. Um, if you want to know when Derek does not get beer on Saturday morning while standing in line, definitely recommend following Derek. Yeah, you'll hear me complain about getting in line for beer at 8 a.m. and realizing that I had to get there at 7.45 if I wanted to get beer. Like, what? <laughs> so they're like, what am I doing with my life um, that I wasn't here 15 minutes earlier, right? Um, yeah, so at Be More Bird's Nest, if you're so inclined to 
see what I'm drinking uh, at Utah ST Report for all things Orioles. Now, of course, we always end interviews with asking the eternal question, but we've covered this question before, so I'm just going to instead shame you uh, with this. You've passed the test on Beatles or Stones, but Derek, you are an early Beatles guy, yes? I am. I'm a sucker for pop music, and the uh, the poppy Beatles hooked me and never let me go. It is and, uh, pornography I for will, the ears. So- I, will, I will defend the pre-mustache Beatles uh, <laughs> Until my dying breath. So you're telling me that uh, before the Beatles grew up, they were the Nickelback of the 60s. <laughs> uh, interview over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bird's Eye View listeners, please make sure that you run over to Utah Street Report. Derek Arnold, uh, friend of the program, one of our favorite interviews, and a fantastic sport. Enjoy the ball games, pal. Thank you, as always, guys. I look forward to seeing you at the yard at Sliders, uh, not at Kim and Bub, unfortunately, but somewhere down there. All right, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We look forward to talking to you next time. Good night. So, Jake, we were treated to some, um, well, some buffoonery yesterday, and it wasn't with the offense or the pitching, but it was with some uh, post-game comments made by the Minnesota Twins, raising issue with the bunting by Chancisco, and I think everyone is on the firm opinion that this is absolutely ridiculous. And Brian, How weird is it to be salty about winning 7 to nothing? I, yeah, it's weird. Everyone is of the opinion that, um, you know, this is just ridiculous, so we're not going to go too much into it, but... In typical bird's eye view fashion, this got us to thinking, and us thinking generally leads to well, very bad things. But Jake, it left me wondering, Jake, what would be our bird's eye view unwritten rules um, if we needed to post them for either our podcast or for the Orioles? So, one of mine would be um, in case of uh, lack of beer, uh, Jake English is promptly able to pop a Bud Light Lime and consume it and declare it a good beer. It's a good enough. Good enough It's beer. a good enough beer. All right. As far as this podcast is concerned, one of the unwritten rules is this. Either a segment is planned obsessively over the course of several weeks or it's planned the day of our episode. Nothing in between. Hmm. Uh, another one would be, of course, uh, when a pun can be made, you make it, and you make it good. Oh, not really, just make it. You just make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the thing: we end just about every episode. We just talked to Derek Arnold, and of course, we've already had this conversation. But we end every interview with the question: Beatles or Stones? We look. We judge people upon this. The unwritten rule, of course, is though people that pick Stones, second class people. Yeah, just, absolutely, absolutely. Similarly, for the uh, Baltimoreos, the unwritten rule is obviously uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is uh, the best TGIF show of all time, at least according to Brady Anderson. That is very true. Also, unwritten rule, if you are a failed first overall pick, you've got a job. Absolutely. Dan Duquette will be calling you and uh, coming up with you. Uh, Another unwritten rule for the Baltimore Orioles, um, and this really comes from the Nationals fans, it will always be Peter Andrews' fault why they have never won a playoff game. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah. So this begs the question. Sure. What other unwritten rules are there out there? Yes. And Birdland, we need your help with this. We need your help pulling these together because somebody needs to write a book. All right. These unwritten rules, no. We got to put them down on paper. So please tweet at us at Bird's Eye View BAL. It's important for us to know what are your unwritten rules for the Baltimore Orioles? Well, if there was one rule this week, it was that, um, well, I owned pretty well. So, Jake, we're going to start off Fantasy Boss this week with a new song that I pick every single year for our next segment for Fantasy Boss. Take a chance and face the wind. Open road 
So Jake, we picked an offensive statistic, and the offense went collectively silent. But Adam Jones hit a home run opening day, and that was enough for me to win this short week. Stop. We are not going <laughs> to not address this. I love that you were just casually, casually continuing through the who's the boss theme. <laughs> <laughs> So Scott takes the early one nothing lead, and uh, it's your category this week. So good luck with that. All right, I've got. Geez, <laughs> I've got one. That... I hope you enjoy that for the rest of the season. Oh, <laughs> I've got one. That you were I... not expecting that, were you? Not expect- <laughs> Listen, guys, this is important. These are all surprises for everyone, including myself. Um, I've got you a were literally crying over I there. I was literally crying, <laughs> and it was not just because the Orioles are losing four to nothing to the world champion uh, Houston Astros. Um, I have a great statistic for okay. this week. Um, the Orioles are not hitting. Yes, but my question is this: Yeah, who's not hitting? Who should be hitting? Okay, I want you to tell me, Scott, who's going to have the lowest BABIP Ooh. over the next week. Uh, can I make a caveat change? Oh, please do. All right. So there's a really interesting uh, stat on um, BaseballSavant.com, which is owned now by MLB Advanced Media. And it's great move. Yeah. By, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, the stat is batting average minus BABIP. Ooh. So it takes a look at the aspect of your batting average and your BABIP and basically figures out the deviation. That quantifies of, what I was just trying to ask. That is correct. All right. So batting average Minus Babbitt. Right. So in this case, you would basically want someone that um, well has a negative is the best way to describe it. So, Jake, you're letting me pick who is basically should have a better um, a batting average. Basically. Who's getting robbed? Who's getting robbed? Uh, I'm going to go with Jonathan Scope. That is a great pick. That is a great pick. I am going to go with Trey Mancini. I, I love Trey Mancini, too. I've liked what I've seen from Trey Mancini. I just feel like Jonathan Scope is in that beginning of the year slump where he's all of a sudden going to bust out. And I just hope it's not this week, basically. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Although Jonathan Scope normally lights up the Yankees. So we'll see. Maybe yeah. maybe a little Yankee spanky. We'll see. Uh, but we'll see if uh, I can Tony Danza that again next week or uh, if we'll get some Gwen Stefani coming our way. Um, and with that... Why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? Scotty, I'm going to talk about something dumb. I know that's going to shock you. I am thrilled, thrilled at the return of Orioles baseball, but even more excited. You know that I care about aesthetics of when course. it comes to sports. But it's You're a visual u- person. It's usually uniforms, yeah, right, that, that I care about. And I'm the one, by the way, when you see the word hosiery tweeted out, that's me behind. Yeah. Hashtag behind. hosiery. Yeah. Uh, some people have been freaking out this season at the Mass and Broadcast for the font choices on some of the graphics. And I just have to say, Birdland, good on you. I applaud a fan base that has high expectations for font choices on graphics. Now, this is clearly about uh, about the the MLB note the notebook, in which the the uh, team is apparently or Masson is apparently using the papyrus font, of course, as if it were like a, a, an eighth grade you know uh, PowerPoint right. presentation. We're going to burn the edges a little bit and um, send to school. The first time I right, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh wow, that's a random complaint. I have seen this from multiple Orioles fans on Twitter. Which, again, just, Scott, it fills me with hope. It fills me with hope that we are the kind of fan base that has an eye for the things that matter. Matt helmets, high socks, real fonts. Birdland, I love you. All right, so you heard it there, Masson. Comic Sans coming your way. And with that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download, and wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show, especially at the beginning of the season. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us. 
at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And um, with that? Well, with that, I, I will bid you all, Baltimore and beyond, a fond adieu-adieu. All right. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. As in, let's go. Get it in gear? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see in the upcoming week who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly in the future. It will indeed. Yeah. We can't do good, bad, and the ugly on three games. Not three games. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that would be like us doing it on one game last year. Yeah. Oh, well. We're not in the best shape of our lives. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.